OddCert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay respect to elders, past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the OzCert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, I'm joined by a triumvirate of cyber gurus. I'll be chatting with Deshant Sadaraju, JP Haywood, and Virginia Caligari. We'll then get an update from my co-host, Beck, and OzCert Director Mike Holm about what they're seeing in the local cybersecurity space. We look forward to bringing you the best of the Australian cybersecurity industry with fascinating insights, great stories from the field, and lessons you can take back to your workplace to better protect your organization's critical assets. Thanks all three of you for joining us. Perhaps if we just um, start off by each of you telling me a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what your role in, in security actually is. Maybe we'll start with you, Virginia. Virginia Callagher. I've been doing this type of job, cybersecurity in this field for 23 years. I initially working with the military, an intelligence IST officer for the Brazilian Navy, and before moving to Australia was the size of the nuclear prepared submarine project. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not an Australian citizen, so for the five past years I've been working consulting with government and the private sector, mostly critical infrastructure. Wow. And coming from that military, you hear a lot of people coming from military backgrounds, but the CISO for a nuclear submarine project, that's new for us, so we're very thankful to have that experience coming to the table. What about you, JP? Hi, I'm JP Haywood. I'm a senior security consultant at Acumenis, and I've had, I guess, uh, a bit of experience in managing SOC and the information security team for a bank, and yeah, that covered a whole range of things. And... Previous to that, I've also had other roles in, in security and IT, as well as banking and finance over the last 20 years as well. Hey everyone, my name is Tashant. I work for Deakin University. been there, I think this is my ninth year running, so I've been there for... I've been in security for the last four years, and I manage the security uh, operations centre at the university. So we're talking a little bit about source, security orchestration, automation and response, which is a bit of a buzz phrase that we're hearing all over the place now, and also with the OSCERT conference this year, it's... Soaring into cyber has been the big thing. What does SOAR mean for each one of you? Perhaps we'll start with you, JP. Sure. SOAR, I think, at its core is about tying together a lot of the security uh, appliances and tool sets that an organization may have, and then putting some automation around those to cut out some of the repetitive tasks that the security team performs, but also orchestrating some of that response so that you're bringing down like your containment times a lot quicker and you're know, just having I guess a platform that ties a lot of stuff together and makes life easier and faster for everybody. Yeah. What about for you Deshaun? It's about making processes a lot more efficient and identifying pain points within within your manual processes and trying to make them more efficient, simple and automatic. That's great. What about with you, Virginia? I look at SOAR from this strategic level and I think it delivers visibility and, and metrics measurement and also uh, helps you with informing sound decision mm-hmm. and uh, also helps addressing the challenge of having small teams and, and the skill shortage in Australia and, and everywhere actually because when you have algorithms doing most of the work and only the, the creative work and the decision making is with your team. so your team's going to be suited for purpose 
fit for a purpose, even if it's a small one. Yeah, and that's really one of the big challenges, isn't it? That the number of bad guys, the number of threats, the number of potential incursions has increased so quickly that we just we can't possibly humanly respond to everything accurately and quickly. Exactly. So, Deshant, in the past year, your security team at Deakin has become smaller while your risks have actually really gotten bigger. How are you leveraging automation? The industry is going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment. We, um, we're all struggling to find a direct, the right skill set and trying to find, struggle to find funding for all security initiatives. But what we are trying to do is trying to make some of the workflows that we are spending a lot of resource time on automated so just identify those pain points so for example we've done this with phishing exercises where people are reporting phishing emails and we're going through an automated process of uh, prioritizing triaging and responding to those phishing emails that has not only made reduce our risk by addressing the problem quickly but also made it more far more efficient so it doesn't take as many resources to to address that um, issue so that that's how we've been working in obviously the challenge of having a, a shrinking team yeah is is a big thing because most most it or well, most organizations are looking to add more people into their security operations teams yeah you've had the opposite yeah. happen is that been by design because of the increased automation or is it have there been some other pressures there? I think it's it was just a, a circumstantial thing. It just so happened that with uh, everything that happened in 2020 and, you know, we just so happened to have lost a, a resource in the team, just making it a bit difficult for us to to keep doing the same thing. We, we had to be innovative, it's, which which is a great thing, I guess. <laughs> I suppose yeah, innovation, you know, sometimes you do it because you want to do it and sometimes yeah. you do it because you have to do it. Absolutely. And what about with you, JP? I mean, you implore, you implemented a SOAR plan when you are working at Heritage Bank. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like actually putting that in? And you know, how did you actually achieve the ROI on that? It was a good project and like all projects, it, it had its challenges. But I think one of the key things that we did is we really thought about what it was that we wanted to achieve from the platform. We thought about the use cases that we were going to use. We thought about how we can improve those use cases and and we kind of did that up front before we got too far down the track of deciding on the platform and you know getting the project underway and i think that really helped set it up so that we knew what we were aiming for and we had some really clear guidelines there and then once we had implemented that one of the things that we did beforehand is you know you time how long it takes for your analysts to do those playbooks that you're looking to automate and then at the end of the project, as you put that into BAU, if you keep doing this as part of your process, you have some really accurate figures in how long it takes somebody to do the thing. And then when you have a tool that starts doing it, you can pull out those figures and you can really get that ROI uh, figure accurate. That enabled us to yeah, to be able to know what the ROI was in, you know, not fluffy numbers, but actually something that mattered. And then through a, a process, continually improving the playbooks that we had, looking for extra integrate and more playbooks that we could automate and building out like a practice of continuous improvement really meant that if there was any roadblocks or hiccups in a playbook that didn't make sense or weren't working, we could fix that and just streamline that. And it meant that because we're getting those processes really down, that was driving that ROI. And then 
being able to improve on that and then repeat and add more things into the platform and automate more and have that as a continuous process just meant that the ROIs is continually being driven. So did that automation, as you added it in, you said, you know, you were reducing the amount of time it took to, you know, to react to a specific type of incident because your, your playbook was executing faster. That obviously frees up people um, who weren't spending two hours on a playbook. They were spending two minutes potentially because all they're really doing is making sure that the outcome was right or potentially having to make one decision at the end rather than 50 decisions in the process. What did that enable those other people to go off and do? It's an interesting question. So we didn't magically have people sitting around reading the newspaper, feet <laughs> on desks. And what it meant is that we actually were essentially adding analysts into the team and, and bumping that team up rather than shrinking it down. So instead of doing the work of five people, we were doing the work of 10 people. And so your automation basically it was like, manpower. Yeah, it was like hiring extra people. So what that meant is that in terms of a risk perspective, um, we're reducing the risk for the business because everything's getting analyzed and investigated in the same manner. It, you know, there's no stress pressures. You know, as an analyst, you might rush through or skip over some things because, you know, you've got a, a backlog that you've got to get through. So there's no of those pressures for an automated tool. It just does the work. So that meant that everything was getting looked at. And I, I guess in answer to the question, what were the rest of the team doing is they were taking those things that had bubbled up as important and they're able to spend the time that was needed to investigate, eradicate, contain, etc. for those things and, and really hone down on that. So it gave you extra manpower to spend on higher value tasks rather than focusing on the everyday noise that comes through all the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a, a really good way of putting it, I think. I believe JP answer just proves that uh, the adoption of source not putting the job of a security analyst at risk. Actually, we cannot have too many security <laughs> analysts with all the need and the threats just going up. Yeah. So you just relocate and get those... Mm those people to do what matters more. And in fact, when you listen to the responses from JP and from Deshant, where automation has come in, in both cases, it's been very clearly adding capacity to the team, not removing people out of the team. It gives you the opportunity to do more things because you have more time given back to you to do higher value tasks. One thing we also need to understand is when you're trying to automate stuff, you also need to understand there's more plays and more threat models that you're trying to bring on board as well. So there's more work coming in anyway. So there's new type of threats that we need to write plays for. So it just makes it more seamless. Hmm. And seamless with an EI, not an IE. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but... Yeah. information security humor thrown in just for fun. Uh, seems also connect to the source, so yeah, we're sure. keeping <laughs> So, obviously your career in military is different to what the JP and Deshanta are bringing to the table today in this podcast, but can you talk a little bit about your advice on compliance with the SOAR framework? Obviously, having dealt with, in the military, you know, rules and compliance are probably as important there, if not more important than almost in, in most commercial organizations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you about life before and after SOAR. So working for a heavily regulated uh, sector, dealing with high sensitive data, teaches you pretty quickly that you need to have full control over assets. 
So you identify your assets, where they are, what they are, and you identify the threats they face and the potential risk that might eventuate. And then you know the need of collecting logs from every system and application and also getting systems to generate alert if any abnormality shows up. And then you can step in and actually prevent an incident. So we were in the Navy, in the, the Nuclear Propelled Submarine Project, collecting logs from everywhere. We, had, we were digesting and ingesting feeds from partnership with law enforcement and intelligence hubs. We, we had our research, we had tactics, techniques, patterns, but we didn't have SOAR back then. We have SOCs and we have SIMs, and luckily the military has a large contingent. So we had many analysts to make that data contextualized and valid for decision-making and to help us with responding to incident. SOAR is a recently new technology, and, and I always look at SOAR from the strategic level. What we want with SOAR in terms of compliance and, and governance. You have proof that you have a high maturity, a high security posture. So because when SOAR gets all your disparate applications and solutions, put them together, contextualize data, you know what your threat is. And you can prove you have playbooks for incident response. You can prove that your teams now fit for purpose. You can have a store of evidences that you can collect with the SOAR per se, and you show to the regulator, to the legislator, to your partner, third party, or any supervisory body that requires that from you. So it helps you speed the process of compliance and gives you something that I call uh, continuous compliance. I once heard someone saying this, and I think it's super valid, like making sure you, you lock the door to your house last year is not enough. You need to lock your, the door to your house every single day. So SOAR learns and tells you the threat you're facing is another one now. The algorithm, encryption algorithm you're using is now outdated. There's groups AP exploiting this vulnerability, so you need to go and update. And it automatically, when you update, generates an evidence that you can show your partners that you are on top of the situation. I really like that analogy of, you know, locking your door yesterday doesn't mean you're safe today. It's, yes. you know, you continue with continual compliance. And the, the challenge for a lot of organizations is that regulators only check your compliance once a year yeah. or every six months. So everyone goes, as long as I pass the audit today, I'm fine tomorrow. But the reality is that by having an automation platform like a saw, it helps you maintain that all the way through. It's painful when you get uh, all the team 12 weeks going crazy generating evidences and fighting among themselves so and everyone is proof of this so <laughs> it's better if you keep on top of the situation across the year amazing thank you so much for that answer so just to finish up the podcast for today one of the things we'd like to know is what advice would you give to people entering the world of cyber today so maybe we'll start with you jp sure so i, I think cyber is a really interesting field and has a lot of opportunity but one thing that i say to people that are starting out is that you don't yet realize how big a field cyber is and you, you might start scratching the surface and there's a lot of interesting things out there but you just have to be really careful uh, that you don't go and try and learn everything and put that pressure on yourself because no one in cyber knows everything about cyber and if someone tells you that then they don't know what they're talking about so you know you, you have to kind of pick something that you're interested in learn a little bit about you know bits and pieces for sure but yeah definitely don't put that pressure on yourself to know everything there is what about from you Deshant? 
I, I agree with that 100%. I think, you know, when you come into the field for the first time or when I did, for at least for me, you need to come with an open mind. You need to be... A bit more, you need to be a bit more flexible in terms of what you actually want to do in this field because it's a very quickly evolving field. What I had planned for last year is is not what I'm actually doing this year. So <laughs> it's, it's you need to be able to adapt. And what about for you, Virginia? What advice would you give to people starting out their career in cyber or looking for a career in cyber? So after 23 years in this field and I've wore several hats and I was exposed to formal education and, and intelligence, law and psychology, human intelligence, but uh, you don't need it. You can come from a psychology background, from a legal, from criminology. Cyber involves all the privacy matter. You can also be a, a computer engineer or system analyst, the, tech, the technical side of it. And uh, there will be always the need for people coming to cyber is here today and it's going to be bigger tomorrow. The threats just increasing and the, the enemies I always when I talk about security I talk about knowing ourselves and knowing the enemies and knowing the battlefield and what we what we have to protect knowing the enemy and always researching our enemy tells me the enemies are getting highly sophisticated and they have better funded and they're going to good universities so we need more and more people to join forces and and improve our readiness to to fight this cyber conflict that goes on every day. Thanks so much for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. Now it's over to the team from OzCert. Beck chats with OzCert's Mike Home about the malicious URL feed and how it works with SOAR, the member Slack channel, and how OzCert's team provides valuable threat data with tools like their Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or OzISAC. And of course, there's a teaser about the 2022 conference. Thank you so much, Anthony. Another episode, here we go. I'm joined today by my lovely friend, Mike. Hello, Beck. Yes, Mike's a regular on the scene here. <laughs> Can I, look, we're a bit late on this podcast, I will be honest. It is late March, we're normally a, a week or so earlier, but hey, there's a, little, a few things a few happening things right going now. things at the moment. <laughs> so I wanted to start off, um, and I'm so grateful for, for our guests that started here. You know, it was really mm. great to have them speaking at the conference last year. So yeah. feel free to, to look up their presentations from last year. We do have their recordings available. But just, I guess, refocusing on SOAR, which was a big focus that we did last year. And I know there's like a lot of ways that our OSET services tie in with people's SOAR yeah. and, and what they're doing and, and how they improve things internally. So maybe if we start with maybe the malicious URL feed, because I think that's just such a good staple and it's, you know, it's... It's been around at OSET. Oh, a long time. Yeah, I'm hesitant to say a date. Longer than everybody. Yeah, I think it predates me, Um, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's it's one, it seems so simple and and what they're doing and and how they improve things internally. So maybe if we start with maybe the malicious URL feed, because I think that's just such a good staple and it's, you know, it's it's been around at OSET. Oh, a long time. Yeah, I'm hesitant to say a date. Longer than everybody. Yeah, I think it predates me, Um, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's it's one, it seems so simple. So maybe if we could just start with what it actually is, just for those people that are going, okay, you talk about this thing, but what is that? What exactly is it? Yeah, I mean, look, everyone's got a threat feed nowadays, but I guess, you know, your job as a cybersecurity professional, obviously, is to find the, the quality threat feeds. And that's why what we always focused on, and it's really uncanny how well OSCERT hit the mark on this and, and you know the, the current crop can't take the credit for that because this product is an old one that we've we've had for a long time we just maintain the glory oh yeah <laughs> they they got this right a very long time ago and and you know nowadays you talk about having a, a high confidence 
feed of, of threat intelligence. And in this particular case, it's it's tactical indicators of compromise. It's you know it's exactly what it says on the can. It is the malicious URL feed. But the fact that it's high confidence, you know, anyone can say that. But I've actually got a little bit of I guess insight into how that works. And so if you, if you look at our analyst team on any given day, one of the, the incidents that they're dealing with the most, of course, is, well, malware and phishing scams. And so rather than dropping all of that data on the floor, someone, you know, way back in the dim, dark <laughs> ages of, of Osset decided, why don't we just scrape all of that together? And automation was, you know, even back then, you know, our, our predecessors here got that right, you know, got to automate. So this thing automatically sucked up all those URLs and, and IP addresses and what have you, and just put them in a feed. Now, back then, there was no such thing as sticks. That's how old this is, that the sticks format hadn't even come out. So there was a very basic, I think it's, I was only just looking at it this morning for something else. It's, it's like a structured text. So it's sort of the, it, it's the beginnings of sticks, I suppose. But very recently, of course, we did make a sticks version of that so that, you know, you can just plug that straight into whatever appliances you're, you're using. We do have a few brave members that have actually plugged it straight into whatever, you know, automation pieces they're running in, in their SOAR journey. And they've actually put it in, you know, in blocking mode. And, you know, we, we do put a hand on our heart and say, you know, this is a high confidence feed. You know, nothing is, is 100% perfect, but we're, we're pretty confident because you actually eyeball. And, and look, yes, back in the, the early days when I came to OSERT, I did actually do this job myself, <laughs> um, an analyst job. You do actually eyeball, obviously, everything that you're analyzing, you know, as an analyst. That's just what you do. So once you've eyeballed something and, and you know, applied all the tests to it, you know, if it's malware, maybe run it in a sandbox or whatever, and you've said, yes, that's malware, that's the point at which it goes into that feed. So we can be pretty darn confident that that thing is is going to be, you know, the list of on the ground, happening in Australia right now up to the minute, malicious indicators of compromise. So I would definitely be getting that into whatever SOAR platform you're running or, look, I'm, I'm very conscious that a lot of our members maybe don't have that capability. So at the very minimum, why not, you know, script something up so you can just look at some log files historically. You know, even if you don't catch it right now, you might catch it because it happened an hour ago or yesterday even, if that's what your capability is. But at least the data's there and you can just do that correlation and uh, maybe get something going and uh, defend your workplace. There's plenty of cases where our members have said, you know, that threat was blocked because you had it in your malicious URL feed and it wasn't in any of the vendors' feeds. Now, we're not going to stand here and poo-poo vendors, but, you know, obviously a lot of those are overseas and they don't have the Australian so experience. Time sensitivity time is sensitive. great. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, you know, we, we like to coexist with the, the vendor um, ecosystem. So just add it to whatever vendor feed you're already using and you've got that up-to-the-minute stuff here. Should we talk about MISP as well, Beck? Well, I guess just to, to, to tail that one off, I'm... I'm seeing a few things there because, look, it's one of my favourite services because I think it's such an easy one. It's yeah. an easy win for a lot of organisers some, in some form. Yeah. But I guess if you are early on that journey, I'd, I'd really recommend jumping onto our member Slack because uh, yeah. that's where you can learn from other members. Yeah, so that's you'll true. find other people that have already done it. They yeah. can share some insights. Contact our analyst team at you know, it's ozzert.org.au. Get them to yeah. give you some feedback. So don't feel like you're all alone in trying to That's come up with this solution. Like this, yeah. while we give you the URL feed, 
we're also more than willing to help you make sure you make the most of it. Exactly. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, actually. I've learned a lot from our members through that member Slack. I, I know in my past life, I used to do a lot of this sort of stuff in isolation and, you know, didn't think to reach out to Ossert too many times. And now now I, I kind of wish that I had in some of those cases. <laughs> well, it's... it's- it's that collaborate, yeah, collaboration yeah. piece. And, and why not share what you've learned or, mm. or learn from other people who have done it before rather than trying to reinvent that wheel, yeah, yeah. everybody doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, a good example of that are some of the, the discussions in our member Slack about particular vendor technologies you know, that our members have used and integrated our feed with it. They've integrated other feeds like you know our Australian government now has a, a feed as well. So they've worked out ways to get those into whatever piece of technology they're using and they're happy to share that and talk about it you know, rather yeah. than you having to... Information is power. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so great lead into our other part though. So mm. the Oz ISAC. So a lot of people um, might have been exposed to this, particularly our higher ed yes. contingent because we do have our, our own separate version just for them. And it is all based on MISP, which is an open source platform. So this yeah. is not a sell of a product to you. No. This is something that you can get for free. <laughs> but can right. you tell us a, a little yeah, bit more about yeah. how that works and what benefits people could find? This has actually been a that? pretty exciting journey because we, a long time ago when the universities all got together and went, you know, we need to do something about this cyber problem. That was when we actually took a good look at what they've already done over in the US, the REN-ISAC, which is their Research and Education Network Information Sharing and Analysis Centre. And this was, I think this was something that came out of the Obama government era, where they said, you know, go forth and set up your own little information sharing and analysis centres for each of the, the sectors, like the retail sector, the you know government sector, education, finance, whatever. And a lot of those are still work, uh, you know, in, in operation and working today. So we spent quite a bit of time with the, the REN-ISAC, the, the um, equivalent of, of Cordit here in Australia. And they were really, really helpful to us. And one of the pieces of advice they said was, don't try and boil the ocean. Just take something simple like threat sharing and get that right. And, you know, we took that to heart. And there were a couple of analysts that have worked with us over the years that did a lot of work on this. Nick Soyser was one. He's now over at Griffith. No, Ramiz, yeah, I know. Oh, again. that's right. He's moved on from Griffith. I keep forgetting. That's right. Yeah, I've got to keep, keep up with the times. Ramiz Agnew went over to Arnett recently, but he did a lot of work on that here as well. And many others. You know, I, I could name uh, many of the analysts. Uh, We've had a few Miss Champions. Yeah, Miss Narayan's probably our current Miss Champion here at the moment. A lot of you know Narayan from uh, Member Slack for his memes <laughs> usually at my expense <laughs> <laughs> Quite often. Um, anyway this this isac got born in the higher education sector and we've sort of got that to the stage where it's it's really working quite well in that universities are sharing stuff with us we're sharing uh, curating it obviously that's that's the whole point you know you, you really need someone to actually curate this and make sure that it's not just you know a low confidence so it's, it's still a high it's confidence still high feed. confidence yeah. totally and you know that's really we we have to at the end of the day we've got to put a hand on our heart and go yes this is you know the analysts have looked at this it's not just oh yeah we'll accept any event into our miscunity and just hope for the best. No, it's, it's definitely look at it, analyze it. Is this right? You know, maybe add some context to it. If it's something that it's just, you know, pure data and we might need to sort of add something and say, well, this is actually targeting the higher ed sector, for example. What we're trying to do now, obviously, is spin this out and bring this to all of the rest of our members because higher ed obviously is only, I don't know, about 20% of our, our total membership or probably less, I think. Education all up is what, about a third? Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's not a huge sector. So what, what we're trying to do is bring that out to everyone else. So we're calling it Oz ISAC, short for OSERT's ISAC. 
And uh, we've got a few of our members that are using it at the moment, mostly to consume the information from it, which, which is fine. But what we're going to try and do, obviously, is make it easier for you to also contribute back to it. So if you've got something that you uh, want to share with the rest of the community, and, th and this is something that a lot of members have talked to me about and said, you know, we, we've got a lot of data, but we just haven't got time to deal with it or, you know, share it out with the community. We're in a couple of trust groups, but, you know, we can't really do much with that. Well, hey, that's where we come in. We've got that platform where we can share that out with everyone else. So malicious URL feed, as I said before, that's exactly what it says on the can. Whereas anyone that's looked at MISP, there's any number of tactical indicators in there, like you know the subject line of an email, or I don't know the binary hash of you know a binary an executable or something that's been attached to an email or something like that. So that so all of those indicators are in there in a, a structured format. You can you can actually just view it if you just want to log in through the GUI and look at it. Which to be honest is what I do the most because I'm not obviously running a an appliance or something that needs to connect to it electronically. You can just look at it and sort of get a feel for the particular trends that are going on. Most of the events in there have what MISP call their galaxy, which is a, you know, a bit of a human readable description of whatever the threat is. But of course, many of you are, you know, you're running seams or content filters, whatever. So you'll want to connect to it with your API and uh, sorry, connect to the API and gather the data that way. So this is something that we're not quite ready to advertise on our website yet we're just working on the you know what do we call it what's the graphics you know all of the little nuances that you've got to get right when you're marketing a, a service but we didn't want to sort of hold up the works and not throw it out to all of you to access so we're sort of tapping people on the shoulder and saying hey there's this thing that you can get gain access to and uh, so if you reach out to membership team they'll be more than happy, more to, than happy. to help you to, to <laughs> jump on if you're super keen so that's membership but yeah but MISP is so powerful yeah, yeah. obviously you know malicious URL is only URL links, this is going to be much more this diverse and, and much more powerful for people yeah. to tap into. Indeed. And included in OSSET membership, so who doesn't love some more free data? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we do this, you know, where Beck and I talk about this all the time together and it's it, it's it's why we're here because if, if, if we wanted to, we could just work for a vendor, but the difference here is, I suppose, Every time we look at something and the analysts come up with some brilliant stuff, if we can sort of figure out, well, can we do that without putting on more resources here? It doesn't cost us anything. So we can just offer that to our members. And, and I think that's great. Yep. It's a great motivator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So just moving on to conference because we have to mention it in every episode at the moment. It's pretty much my life. Yeah. A few, just a few conferences under my belt. So I know previously we did announce our first keynote, which is Kath Koshal from the Kindness mm -hmm. Factory. And I'm super excited for everybody to hear more about her story. It's, it's really inspiring and just, you know, something that's so important. You know, we're, we're very passionate here about people being good people, kindness. <laughs> yes. Honouring mental health, looking after each other. So you Definitely. can't go wrong with that as a topic. But yes, and one of our second keynotes is actually the amazing Leslie Carhart. Mm -hmm. And I'm so stoked that she can join us. It's taken me a little while to call her Leslie because she is always going to be Hacks for Pancakes <laughs> in my eyes. So yeah, if you're on Twitter, make sure you follow Hacks yeah. for Pancakes. It does make me a bit hungry. And I've been trying to get Leslie to join us for a number of years there's yeah. been a lot of constraints about how she could present outside the US. So super excited that she's going to be with us yeah. in person, on a stage, not on a screen. So that's really cool. So well the program is literally going to be released about the same time as this podcast mm. tomorrow. So I'm very excited that you will all see what we've been working on and playing with. So I was going to just get Mike to give you a little bit of a 
you know, a little bit of a heads up about what you could look forward oh, to. So yeah. um, one of the benefits of OSSET is they've, they've seen the program and they've seen the tutorial schedule. They've started have... putting their eyes on what they want to attend. <laughs> so what tutorials have you picked, Mike? Alrighty. Well, I actually struggled a bit because there are a few on at the same time that I wanted to do. I love giving that. I know. And <laughs> there are a few of the analysts actually said the same thing. It's like, oh, done. There's, there's multiple things on at the same time that I want to do. Big and decisions. Yeah. Beck said, well, that's a good problem to have. <laughs> Fortunately, I've actually done a couple of the tutorials because we've repeated a couple just because of popular demand so i actually did the the one on how to do your own honey quite a while ago now i think that was that was a repeat from 2020 which was your first virtual year. The virtual year was so Ooh, fun. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So, so I know Colby and Ramiz are loving getting oh, to do yeah. that to real people in a and real look, room. That was a really good one because it, it's look, I'll be honest, my technical days are a long time ago now, let's be honest. <laughs> and I, I didn't struggle with that. I, I was able to actually keep up with, with what they were doing. Yeah. But there was enough in there for there were a couple of more advanced technical people in the group that I went through with and they sort of just went on to do the advanced stuff and it worked out pretty well for everyone. I think that's so. the beauty about face to face training. You know, as much as we oh, tried yeah. to do some virtual options for to get real outcomes, it's so handy where the trainer can look at the people on their face and go, Oh, you're struggling or you need help. Yeah. You're jumping ahead, here's some more things. So it just that's, made it that that's much definitely harder. been our focus this year as and you'll see that there's a lot more options, which is part of the conflict for our team so far. Yeah. Um, but I think we've well, got Well you had to find rooms to put them yeah. all in. I don't know how you did that. We've got seven <laughs> concurrent options, yeah. so there's a lot to choose from. <laughs> so I, I was really, really stuck between uh, leading cyber cybersecurity assurance with Mark, uh, Dr. Mark Kerry Smith, who's actually doing quite a bit of work with OSIT at the moment. So I thought, well, I spent a lot of time with Mark. Maybe I can get him to repeat that later on. <laughs> <laughs> so I've decided to go with Ben DeMarc, a, a very good friend and colleague of ours here. And he's actually doing one on um, how to conduct your own tabletops. And, you know, really in this day of actually properly managing risk, which is something that I've always been passionate about, being able to do that in your own organisation would be really cool. So I definitely wanted to have a look at that. And then on the second day, there's, there's Gary Gaskell, who is an amazing person doing the cybersecurity risk management course. Now, that one has been around for quite a while, but we get absolutely <laughs> beseeched to do that one every year. And Gary sort of looked at us, looks at us and goes... Oh, if you want me to do it again, again. yeah, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> but look, yeah. that, that one definitely, particularly if, if you're if you're new to it, this is awesome. Or if you've been doing it for a while and you just want to sort of align yourself with the latest frameworks, because Gary, bless him, he's the one that will stay up at night reading those darn frameworks and learning them. And yeah. who wants to do that? So just yeah. You so if you've brush done up. it before, he updates the content yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And look, credit where credit's due. I know how hard that is because I used to do it in a past life and honestly, yeah. <laughs> so what I ended up choosing on that day was uh, actually a, a lecturer that used to be at our wonderful colleagues over at QUT but has now joined the University of Queensland. Mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> Ivano Bongiovanni and a design thinking for cybersecurity, how to engage disengaged employees. And I think in this, in this age, because we're you know let's be honest call it what it is it's difficult working in the environment we're in there's always something you know yeah. in queensland just today where 
people are flooding again, would you believe, after all the, the other nonsense that went on. So there's always something and to make make your your work life a bit more interesting. And I've seen some of his presentations before and I'm really looking forward to it because I know he'll he'll engage me and yeah. he's uh, teach very passionate new. and very knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah, that'll be an amazing session. But look, they're just the ones that I picked and there's some highly technical ones here that others are going to be interested in. So yeah, keep an eye out for this. Jump I, I'm really seats. pleased about the ones you called out there because I think that just showed exactly what I wanted to say is that oh, really? it's there's something for everybody. So yeah. there is, you know, there's risk, there's GRC, yeah. there's people, there's technical. Yep. technical ones and we have that. brought back the mental health first aid, which is a two-day course. Oh, if, yes, I wanted to mention yeah. that one. Yeah. So if anyone has wanted to do that course, I mean, we're very lucky here at UQ. It is something that we've got access to mm. all year round, but I love that we're able to give that to other people because yeah. it's, it's so hard to know how to help in some situations. So that's a really yeah. great course. And you can actually walk away. You, you get given the handbook, which mm. is really handy reference. But then you can do the online free assessment, which is quite simple if you've done the course. And you become accredited and in mental accredited. health first aid. So that's a really good thing to have as well. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so that's the tutorials. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, so that's that's your teaser. <laughs> Enjoy, guys. But yeah, like I said, the program will be released very soon. First preference for those, you know, they're not obviously all huge in size, yeah. depending, especially our technical ones, have to be smaller groups just so the presenter can have some time face-to-face with each of the attendees. So the quicker you get in, the better chances you have of securing those spots. So I would really encourage you to register early and, and, and make the most of those. What I didn't mention is also if you're a, a full delegate, they are free. We do not charge for tutorials. I can't think of a better way to go to your supervisor and say, can you please send me to this? I'm not just going to a conference. I'm going to come back learn with, something. F- with free training and new skills. So yeah, it's a win-win situation on that front as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's enough from us. Thank you for joining me, Mike. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, and we'll be back as we creep closer to the conference and maybe I'll only harass everyone one more time about that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the AusCert podcast. Thanks to our guests Deshant, JP and Virginia, and a special thank you to my co-host Beck. We'll be back next month with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit auscert.org.au.